Ecosystem, what's going on? Yo, can you hear me? Yeah, man, you got me? Yes, sir. What's going on, Jake? Is it is it echoey at all on my end? Or are we no, good? no, we're good. All right, I'm sitting in this kitchenette of my hotel room here at an <laughs> undisclosed uh, central time zone location. Um, I've, I've never heard that term, kitchenette. Until today, <laughs> listen, man. We're 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 wordsmiths and writers over here. We gotta we gotta mix it up every, every now and then. Echoes echoes are are not good in, in writing. Yeah, facts. How's um, everything going, though? Say it again. I said, how's everything going, though? It's going well, man. It's going well. How about you? Yeah, it's doing better. Um, as you can see, those guys are, you know, playing with a bit more confidence and stuff like that so it makes covering games you know much more interesting for sure um you know it's, it's not so much of a drag anymore as it was you know in previous times so that's good but you know everyone loves trades so, and the trade season is open officially so that's what the people are here for the people here for trades, we're definitely going to take your questions at some point. So if anyone in here is waiting to pop on in and ask us something, uh, feel free to call in now, start getting the queue going. Um, but first, we'll definitely talk Rockets. And if you want to ask a Rockets question, even better, because we've got um, probably one of the best ones out there, to, to be even more knowledgeable than me on Houston, uh, to be asking what's going on in Rockets land. So um, let's – Let's think more big picture before we get more into the um, the trade weeds here. Being that um, you know what you just said at the at the jump about them kind of playing with a little bit more fire here. Right. Um, when Steve Nash got relieved of his duties, let's say um, in Brooklyn, now the league and people, fans, you know, wanted to start kind of pinpointing who could be the next coach to go. And around this time last year, I remember, remember it was the week before Thanksgiving. Right. Um, I got a couple calls, and I wrote that Stephen Silas was on the hot seat, and people were kind of mentioning him, not in in total, not in real serious, more like skeptic, uh, more speculative, and more just just making educated guesses. Um, just being that the Rockets clearly had some type of goal to be a little bit more competitive this right. year. So, where wh- where do you think? this team kind of stands compared to what their early season, preseason expectations kind of were? I think early season, the reason why the mood was down collectively was because, as you said, they did expect to be a little bit more competitive than last season. And early on this year, it didn't seem the case. It seemed like they were actually regressing. And for a rebuild, you know, at this critical stage, if you want to call this year two or year three, you know, the worst thing you could do would be to be moving backwards, right? So you draft Jabari Smith Jr., you draft Tari Eason, you draft Ty Ty Washington, you you have Jalen Green in year two, Kevin Porter Jr. just got a new extension, Jay Shantae got a new extension. Um, now you're starting Shangoon. You know, beginning of the year, it didn't look cohesive by any means. You know, the, the defense was horrendous. There was no offensive rhythm, no offensive flow. And they just didn't look like a good coaching um, front, 
if you want to call that a coaching point, because, you know, Steven Salas, over the summer, he revamped his staff, brought in Mahmoud from the G League, um, brought in Mike Batiste, brought in Lionel Hollins. Um, so, so the staff was created in his image, but now you have the first five or ten games of the year, and they look anything like a team. So that's why people started to seriously – Consider if Stephen was on the hot seat, and 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 I think he was for a little bit because, you know, the sense I got was the Houston's biggest fear internally was moving backwards, and if they felt like um, Stephen wasn't, you know, penetrating the group, you know, with his voice and his and his and his plan and his schemes, then a change would have to be made. But credit to him, you know, since then they've. They've they've turned it around. They're playing with more confidence, more fire, more grit, and you see now defensively they're they're getting stops when they need to. They just finished a two game sweep of the Bucks and the Suns, which is crazy considering where this team was a year ago. And they're certainly looking on the up and up. So let's jump into the trade stuff. I think biggest thing that just rocket centered is obviously Eric Gordon. Um, and he's someone that I think the Rockets have listened on in the past, right. uh, but have held an incredibly high asking price from the perspective of rival teams and that right. they want a legitimate first-round pick and have kind of been consistent in that price for years now. Right. Being that he's very close with uh, John Lucas, and he's considered to be just – really solid locker room presence. He's not exactly the Udonis Hasm of the Houston Rockets. But <laughs> he's certainly that type of um, figure in terms of uh, a guiding light of professionalism and whatnot for a young team that right. doesn't have too many of those players, right? Right. Um, so I, I said that to ask you this. like, How, how serious do you think? Because with John Collins and, um, you know, down the line, there are a lot of guys who people, teams will look will – talk about and throw their hands up and say, oh, this guy's right. been available for a couple of years now. So is this actually <clears throat> the year that, that Gordon gets moved, being that um, next year's salary um, is, is is entirely non-guaranteed? Yeah, I think so. I think this is going to be the year that Eric gets moved. I think the Rockets are more inclined to move him now than at any point they uh, previously during the last two or three years, right? So from my sense, Eric just wants a resolution. Right. You know, obviously, you know, he there's a part of him that's fine, you know, playing for this rebuild if they have a clear goal and if they're showing clear signs of progression. But at the same time, he wants to win. He wants to play in the playoffs, he wants to win, compete for a championship. And that's kind of why you see. Well, that's what that's why you saw all these contenders, you know, calling Houston around the draft, calling them around February to try and get him off their books you know, for late first-round picks, you know, for, for salary filler. And each time the Rockets turned it down because at the time they didn't deem those deals, I guess, worthy enough of Eric Gordon's services. Um, but now he's in technically the final year of his deal because they have a team option on him next season. You know, he's on, what, $20 million a year right now. Mm-hmm. I think given that the Rockets are – fully entrenched in the rebuild and they now can see what actual growth in year-to-year progression looks like, I do think that something will happen with Eric sooner than later. I, I just think that, you know, at the end of the day, this is a business. And if a team comes in and, and gives them what they want, which is 
you know, probably a future first or a young player, I think they'll buy tomorrow. If if a team, the only problem is that, you know, to this point, there hasn't been what's been on the table. You know, teams are offering, you know, picks now, and the Rockets don't have a real need to bring on an extra late first. They they already have the Bucks first round pick in this coming draft. They have a bunch of young players. I think a future for something like maybe 2025 and out, you know, is more appealing to them. You know, a young player that that they can bring in to fill that void that Eric, you know, you know that Eric would would leave is something that they would do. So you look at teams like Phoenix, you look at teams like Philly, you look at teams like the Lakers, teams like, you know, possibly a Miami or, you know, just contenders that need a jolt, right? So um, I think that's what Eric's market looks like right now. The only problem is, you know, how long are the Rockets going to play the waiting game? Because his value is never going to get more. It's never going to be higher than what it is now, right? And with every month, it's just decreasing because he's an older player. He's on pretty high salary. He's still a talented guy that can help a winning team right now. But because of the the salary and the injury history, that's what what makes the the asset kind of depreciating. Um, you mentioned the Lakers. The connection there is obvious with Rob Linka being his former agent. Um, the connection with Philly and Daryl Morey is obvious there. The Suns, I'm not so sure that's an actual destination for Eric Gordon. Um, I, I've heard from several people that they don't really have too much interest. Um, and I feel like they probably could have already gotten a deal done with Houston if they really did want to bring him back. Is, is that something that checks out with you at all? Yeah, so, you know, at various points I've heard, you know, you hear different things. And, and at one point I heard that Phoenix was kind of not so high on Eric because of the the, the high salary, like the $20 million. And mm-hmm. you know, that was kind of – they didn't want to bring on their books. But now, I mean, you see that he, he has close ties to Chris Paul – uh, Chris Paul's been a huge supporter of him for years, and it's clear that the Suns need something. Obviously, if they could get a John Collins or something, that, that would be more, you know, tantalizing for them. But you know, Eric is still an option. I, I, I do think at some point it's just, you know, at what price? Like if they're swapping out Crowder for Eric, I don't think they would turn that down. It's just again the money thing. Like they would have to send out probably who like maybe Dario Sarge or something like that, just to make the numbers work. But this whole thing about, you know, Phoenix is interesting because the Suns are in a rut right now. They've lost five in a row. They've lost six in the last seven. They're dealing with a slew of injuries. You know, Devin Booker's out. DeAndre Aiden is out. You know, Chris Paul missed like 14 games. Cam Johnson is out for another month, I think. They clearly need something. Now, is that something Eric Gordon? I'm not sure. Because, you know, if this was Eric Gordon at 29, then, hell yeah, I think they would jump on in a heartbeat. But given the age, given the, the, the contract, you have to, you know, approach it with caution. So that's what I think, you know, is the hope in all this thing. Because if the Suns really wanted him, you know, and they put something on the table seriously. I think they, they could have had him a long time ago, but to your point, they haven't. So I think it's a wait and see thing. Yeah. Um, the other aspect of, of the Suns-Houston connection is 
KJ Martin. And he's been like KJ Martin. I've known has been on the sun's radar since the summer when during all the Kevin Durant trade talk and how that was going to have to be expanded to multiple teams. Right. um, It became clear that KJ was someone that Phoenix had on their radar. And I believe you were the one to first report that he's interested. Yeah. Um, which definitely still seems to be true. I, I don't. I don't think it's necessarily that he is unhappy in Houston. I think it's just players see the writing on the wall sometimes when, especially when you're in a rebuild and certain guys are getting fed both in right. opportunity and in contract extensions ahead of you, right. being older or being a higher draft pick or being further along in this program. And he is clearly like more of an ancillary supplementary piece than one of the core players on this team moving forward. So is there anything else that you can share or shed light on as to why he might be interested in, or not be, I mean, seems pretty clearly interested in potential opportunities elsewhere. Yeah. So it goes back to, I'll say like this, KJ Martin loves his teammates, loves Jalen Green, Kevin Porter, all those guys. At the end of the day, players want to feel valued. You know, this is their place. Of, this is their place of work. This is their place of business. This is their livelihood. So, if you're KJ Martin and you look around the team and they bring in a Jabari Smith Jr., they bring in a Tari Eason, they they, they give Jay Sean Tate an extension, and Eric Gordon is still on the roster. You know, you kind of have to look and see: is this the best situation for me? Now, granted, Jay Sean's been injured, which and Eric, you know. KJ has gotten at least what around twenty minutes a game so far, but he's he's extension eligible right now, and of course he he'd be open to getting an extension at the right number for Houston. Um, but I'm not sure what that number is, right? So you've heard like ballpark figures, like comparing it to the Brandon Clark deal, which was what four fifty, four fifty two, something yeah. like that maybe 448, and then you look at something like Dorian Finney-Smith, those kind of ranges for a young player on that kind of um, that age and, and that progression timeline. But KJ, I just think he wants to feel valued. And if that's in Houston and if, and if he's getting a consistent role, then that's that's great for him. But if his minutes are going 22-1 one day, 12 the next, you know, 18 the next, 27. Like, if it's not consistent and they're losing, you know, that's when you start to see, is this the best thing for me right now? So, you know, both things can be true. KJ can can be open to wanting to stay in Houston for the right number and the right role and also have an eye elsewhere if something opens up. That's a real opportunity. The only problem is if you want to go to a contender or another different situation at this point of the year, what team is able to do that and give you that role right now? That's the problem. And, 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 and the other problem is why would the Rockets just let KJ go and still hold on to Eric? So I think the funny thing is that KJ doesn't have a Rockets problem. I think he has an Eric Gordon problem because they're essentially tied at the hip. Like they're essentially together, right? Because, the Rockets have a 21-year-old asset that's playing well and that's improved every year. They're not inclined to let him go at all, right? 
unless you can really meet their valuation of what they think he's worth. But at the same time, there is no situation where I, that that for me personally, I can see them trading KJ and keeping Eric. That doesn't make sense to me, right? So it would have to be the other way around. Now, if they let Eric go to a team, that immediately opens up a starting spot for KJ Martin in Houston, right? And that it immediately makes everything different because his role then becomes a starter. He's getting 25 minutes plus, you know, then everything's green. But with all this uncertainty, you know, Eric's still on the roster, you know, Tari's playing well, Jabari playing well. You're not sure. Garrison in and out the rotation, you're not sure where you stand all the time. And that's what leads to, you know, the wandering eyes and just you feeling uneasy about yourself because it's a tough spot to be in as a player. Um, let's go to Justin, who's been waiting patiently. And if anyone else wants to come in the queue and ask a question, if you don't have an account, you got to make one to do so. But uh, it's free, easy to do, and we'd love to have you come and chat with us. So, Justin, uh, feel free to take yourself off mute, and uh, we're here to answer any questions. What's going on? Hey, Jake and Kelly, how are you guys doing tonight? Doing good, man. Doing well, doing well. How are you? I just have a... I'm good. I have a few questions, two considering the Rockets and one that's going to be Sixers related because I'm a Sixers fan and aspiring writer. There you go. So Awesome. So it, my first question is, is Houston shaping up to be the best fit on paper for Victor Wembanyama? It's a good question. Um, I think any, well, I won't say any, but Victor would easily fit into any of these bad teams. They would find a way to make it work. I think Houston would be great for them because, you know, you already have a guy in Jalen Green that's going to be a guard, scorer, creator. You have a switchable big in Jabari Smith that is, you know, a defender, shooter. Bringing in Victor, who's a, a transcendent, type talent at the at the five, you could put that next to Jabari and that would you know, that's the potential of that is crazy. But at the same time, you know, Houston I don't know. I, I think I could see, I see why people do say, you know, the Rockets would be a hand in glove fit for Victor. Um but the problem with that is, you know, it depends on luck, it depends on, you know, you have to lose a lot more games than you are right now. And, you know, how does that play out down the line? But I certainly do think Victor would be a top two fit. Houston would probably be a top two fit for him right now. I do, I do yeah. Man, I don't because know how many games they have to lose. Right now, As present, as at present, they're one loss, quote, unquote, ahead of San Antonio. Um, or I guess behind San Antonio in the uh, – in the tank the, race, in tank race, yeah. Which would, <laughs> if they finish, if they finish fifth, let's say, you know, or with the fifth best odds, right? Ten and a half percent chance the number one pick, which you know is only three and a half percent worse or than or, or less than the t- the bottom three teams that each get a, an even share of fourteen. So right. it's not like they're completely out of it. I, I think that's kind of one of the biggest misconceptions of. Um, these new lottery rules and, and, and the abridged format uh, after the process years in that it's kind of made it easier. And that's why I think 
teams are looking at trying to find which potential postseason threat is going to become a seller. Because right now, the standings being so bunched up, any team that's right out of the postseason picture, whether it's Chicago that everyone keeps talking about, but I'm still not so sure that the Bulls are just going to be rushing full steam ahead to sell because um, I, I do believe there's a there's a goal of making the playoffs there. But if it's Washington, who's 11 and 18 right now, in theory, you know, they talked about Kyle Kuzma a lot um, with certain teams. I, I don't think that's what the Wizards' goal is at all. Right. I think they're trying to establish themselves as being a sixth seed. But any one of those teams, like, like Houston is – uh, Eric Gordon trade away from maybe being like fully entrenched at a top five pick where it's easy now. It's, it's way easier now for you look at 2019 where New Orleans and Memphis moved Anthony Davis or not, not moved Anthony Davis, but, but sat Anthony Davis a lot at the stretch of that season. Grizzlies traded Marcus all Mike Conley was out with injury and both those teams moved up to six and seven and got the, not the one seed and the two seed. So I end that rant to say, <laughs> I do think any of these teams, I mean, it's not like this guy's going to be a bad fit anywhere. Like, these teams are all there in this position because they don't have enough getting them further at this point, yeah. obviously. And Charlotte, I think, I mean, in terms of an organization that will invest in infrastructure and personnel and whatever to, like, truly grow a team around whatever it has right now, and Victor. I mean, I don't think the league and people around the league want to see him go and sh- go to Charlotte. But, like, him and LaMelo would obviously be a pretty great pairing. With Detroit, you know, they picked Jalen Dern and, or they traded for him in the lottery last year. But, I mean, you're not going to look at him as a, someone who's going to potentially stand in the way of Victor forming a, a, a front court partnership or the front court partner for Kate Cunningham in a pick and roll situation for the next 10, 15 years. Orlando's got everything on with Paolo and Franz Wagner, but they're still a pretty, pretty poor team at this juncture. Also, like Houston wanted to have you know, bigger aspirations of winning. You're on the list, like all these teams could use the guy. So I don't know if there's like a best fit for him. I think he's just a type of player that's going to automatically be kind of the crown jewel of whatever roster that is currently in this. Uh, this tanking race for him, like even OKC, if with Shea Gilgis Alexander, right? If they all of a sudden, oh my God. if the Thunder finally win the lottery in this post Russ uh, Paul George era, um, and I say finally, being that they they have not moved up to too much. Obviously, they got the number two pick with Chet, but they just have, the lottery odds haven't have, the lottery gods haven't exactly smiled upon the Thunder. Like they'll be very happy getting Victor. You know what I'm saying? So. He's just that type of prospect. Justin, you got anything else for us? Uh, yeah, I was just curious. If they don't wind up getting Victor Wembanyama, who would the Rockets – who was, like, one of their early favorites? I know it's the trade <clears throat> line, like, just started, but who's one of their early favorites? You mean in terms of the draft coming up? Yeah, in terms I think, of the draft. I, I, think Scoot, I think Scoot would be a, a hand-in-glove fit over there. I really do, because it allows you two things. It allows, first of all, the broadcast team would have a hell of a time with school and school <laughs> calling games. Um, mm-hmm. But from a, a more on-court standpoint, you get to put 
you allow Kevin Porter Jr. to slide back into a wing creator score role where he doesn't have to feel the burden of being in every possession point guard, right? Because you have a natural PG in Scoot Henderson that can set guys up. Well, he won't have to take away, you know, touches from Jalen Green. He'll allow him to thrive in his role. He'll allow Kevin to thrive in his role. And he'll just open things up for them in a ways that they haven't had that opportunity to since the rebuild started. Because in my opinion, Scoot, not a lot of opinions, Scoot is the best point guard in this class by by by, by a pretty sizable gap. Um, he just has all the tools from a physical standpoint and the court vision to make things work. And I think it will easily translate to the next level because he has that confidence, he has that swagger, and he has that vision. You pair that with the Jalen Green, you, who's already getting better in year two. You pair that with a Jabbar Smith, who's, who's looking better and better as the games go by. You still have a Kevin Porter Jr. Um, th- then you also have a boatload of cap space coming up, you know, in, in, in next summer and the summer after that. Now you can kind of see what this team can look like when everything's fine on all cylinders, right? Because you'll have at least three to four quality young pieces in place and you can continue to build off of that. So I think even if they don't get Victor, I know everybody's going to be sad because this is this kid is going to be like we haven't seen anything like this guy ever. And I understand why, you know, if they don't get him, you know, the move will be down. But Scoot Henderson is a pretty damn good consolation prize for not getting the number one pick. That's true. I mean, personally, I'd like to understand they're both pretty elite and Victor, like you said, is nothing like we've seen. But it's always uh, always makes me feel secure when the team I'm watching or a team has a point guard who's in charge. Right. It feels like there's some semblance of order on the court. Right. And my my last question is, since you mentioned uh, K.J. Martin, do you think he would be willing to, if the Sixers and Rockets made a deal of some sort, you think he'd be willing to play for the Sixers? Because they're definitely short on the wing. And in terms of athleticism, he has youth and size. He may be a little bit lighter, so he may get pushed around, but that's not the biggest of the concerns. <laughs> but do you think he'd be willing to be a part of a, a good in the Sixers where he may only get, like, the same amount of minutes he's getting this year, but he's on a winning team contributing and learning at the same time? I mean, I think if he got traded to a situation that, and and this is us just guessing here, like like there's no way to, it's not just a guess. This is, you know, we're trying to bring responsible information. I'm just trying to say, I'm not trying to speak for KJ Martin, but all that being said, if he were moved to a situation like Philly where there's championship aspirations on the line, I think he would have to, because you have to swallow whatever pride there is in terms of minutes and an opportunity that he's kind of feeling in Houston for that opportunity to because the best way to get paid in this league and to get more playing opportunity is especially as, as a player who's not been minted as like one of the guys at this point in time is to is to look at what Gary Payton did in Golden State and to prove your value on a winning situation and then the checkbooks around the league will open. People pay for winners and people pay for players who contribute to winning right. environments. So that, that, that that's, I think, even though he'd be burnt, I mean, depending on what the deal was, where I, I'm, 
if I remember correctly, um, the chatter around Philly's talks with Houston back at the dead back at the draft. Um, Eric with, with, yeah, with Eric Gordon. And and it was tied in with Tobias's salary, right? So if Tobias was going out the door, there would seem to be openings on the wing in Philly, and, and they clearly have addressed that with PJ Tucker and Daniel House and. Um, DeAnthony Melton is definitely more of a guard, but he can guard up and guard wings. Um, so there'd be opportunity for him there. And I think in a winning situation, he would have to be excited about that chance to prove himself in that type of situation. Yeah. So, and, and going the on-course stuff works too, right? Because KJ is a smart player. He's understood in year three, how to adapt on the, on the fly with angles, with cutting, with spacing. He's a, he's a, he's a decent shooter. Um, he's, he can make 36, 37% of his threes. Um, obviously, he's a highlight player every time he touches the ball. Um, defensively, he's he's trying to make those improvements as well and being a more confident ball handler. But from a physicality standpoint, you know, he would bring a lot of added punch to this to that Sixers front court. Um, and going back to what Jake said, when you're playing for a winner, uh, I don't think you're going to be complaining much if you're playing in – April and May, even if you're playing, what, 16, 17 minutes a game. So um, I just think that these guys, once you get into the league and you get a taste of or you see what winning looks like around the league, you want that for yourself. And he comes from a, from a family, you know, his dad obviously was a winner, a winning basketball player and, you know, someone that played a lot of playoff basketball. So you understand kind of why he would want – you know, a different situation if there's no clear role for him in Houston, right? So that's kind of what you that brings to that point. But, you know, I think Philly would like him. I think a lot of teams, a lot of contenders could use someone like a KJ Martin, a young athletic guy that's smart, doesn't need the ball, and makes everyone else better. Thank you, Justin, for the questions. we got to keep moving. But last thing I'll say before we uh, pick up AJ's call here is I remember Justin identified as an aspiring writer. And if you are an aspiring writer, my advice is this, drop the aspiring. Just, I mean, there's there's a difference between having it be your source of income and it being a stable source of income and one that can help you uh, live an enjoyable life. But if you identify as wanting to be a writer, identify as a writer, man. That's, that's, that's I think, half the battle right there. Um, AJ, how can we help? So, uh... I'm a fan of one of the most confusing teams in the league. I'm a Pacers fan. Uh, <laughs> they'll they'll lose against the Nets without their top like seven players. Oh boy, beat was... the Warriors twice in ten days. So, uh, just want to know what you're thinking about them. Um, what you're hearing? I saw the stuff about the Hawks potentially, and so I just want to get a beat on that. And also, before anything else, I want to shout out Eric Gordon because. I'm an IU fan, so Indiana faithful. Fan, so. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I will say this about the John Collins stuff. I think people, and I get, I get the the state of uh, NBA Twitter these days. Uh, like I know that John Collins is an option that the Pacers have at least discussed internally, and I know that looking at Long-term solutions at power forward is something of interest to the Pacers. And when they were the number six pick in this June's draft, and there was the chance that Sacramento, at least in theory, could have chosen Jaden Ivey 
ahead of Keegan Murray at number four and the wild card at that point of what Detroit would have done at five. Um, uh, if they took Benedict Matherin or, or if they're, if Keegan Murray was on the board, there was definitely a thought that Indiana liked him a lot and he would have fulfilled this hole at the power forward that the Pacers in theory have and are looking to fill. Now, Jalen Smith has been their starting power forward pretty much most of the year when healthy. Um, and I think that's been interesting in that he doesn't exactly project as a long-term power forward, right? And it's also interesting in that um, Miles Turner and, you know, they broke up Sabonis and Turner largely to, because they thought those two basically centers played next to each other wasn't really fit. And they're going kind of right back to that, right? But I think that's just kind of where they're at right now with the roster. I don't think, you know, no offense to Jalen Smith, but I just think the Pacers view him as their long-term option there. I think there's excitement about Isaiah Jackson, but he's not exactly, you know, on par with where Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin are, right, in terms of, like, fully establishing themselves as future core pieces of this team. So I think they're looking. I think Collins is someone that, they definitely will talk about have they had serious conversations with Atlanta? I have not heard that yet. It could have it could have happened, but I, I don't want to over I don't want people to, to uh, overstate that connection. To, I, I really was just putting out a couple of data points that might end up getting connected at some point down the line. I think I think Indiana is one of those weird teams where they kind of have the two timeline things going right, where they have Tyrese Halliburton, they have Matherin, they have Andrew Nemhart, but then you also have the older guys like like Miles Turner, like Buddy Heald. And right now, I think what they they're fifteen and fourteen, I think. So yes. they're still pretty good in that playoff race for that that play in spot. Um, but they could certainly use an upgrade. Uh, I just I, I wonder, I do wonder with the Pacers though, what kind of timeline. They would be on, you know, if they do go that route of getting a John Collins or getting, you know, someone else in there in the front court uh, to kind of spruce things up a bit. So they're an interesting team for sure. <laughs> Beating the Warriors twice in ten days was uh, kind of confusing going off back to that that Brooklyn game. Um, but you know that is Indiana basketball right there. So um, it's been pretty fun. One thing I will say about uh, Jalen Smith is like the last four games, I think he's averaged like a little over 13 minutes of playing time. They've mm-hmm. gone with Aaron Neesmith starting at the four, which has been kind of crazy. Um, and also pushed Isaiah Jackson out of the rotation last night, which was kind of crazy and kind of sad for uh, some of us that are Isaiah Jackson truthers. So <laughs> it's definitely interesting to see what they'll do with the power forward. I mean, Indiana has lacked wings for years since like yeah. – I don't know if you count Fad Young, but like <laughs> he's the most recent one that was like somewhat good at defense that was enjoyable to watch. So definitely uh, something that we need to look out for. All good, AJ. Thank you for Thank the time. You. We will take a question from Sean, and then with no one else, we will wrap it up after Sean, and I'll run through the comments too before we get out of here. Sean, what's going on, buddy? Hey, Jake. So um, I've heard a lot of buzz around the Knicks when it comes to Cam Reddish, Derrick Rose, but uh, I'm mostly intrigued when it comes to the Emmanuel Quickly trade rumor. Apparently, he is um, available for trade. So I was just wondering, like, if any teams, what teams were showing interest in him and what are the Knicks expecting back? 
Kelly, did you hear anything about anything specific about the the next Eric Gordon talks that obviously didn't get done? I heard a while back, but it was just it was like a sliver. It wasn't really anything concrete, but it was just you know one of those teams that take a flyer, you know, try and poke their head and try and take the temperature of the room. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that was a little while back. Because I don't know specifics. I believe quickly was discussed in that deal in, in that concept. Um, so that's one team that I could, I could say that, I, but again, like nothing happened. I don't know this. I, I really can't right. tell you the, so the of, of those talks and we're at a, we're at a point in the trade calendar where certain things are, are more, it's, it's tough to discern what are just like concept and what are the things that people are actually like moving forward and gaining traction on. Cause it's just for, for many reasons to explain, it's just, it's difficult sometimes to ascertain which is which. Um, but I think with quickly and why the Knicks are in theory, making him available, he's just going to be facing a, a next contract, you know, in the near future. Um, and whenever um, I, I, it's just, kind of, it's, it's been a try and true theme of the league operating calendar forever, but you know, he, he's extension eligible this summer. So whenever that comes up, just like with Sadiq Bay in Detroit um, and on, on larger scales, when guys contracts are coming up, where I talked about Yaka Pert on the top of my story at Yahoo yesterday, um, Miles Turner to go back to Indiana. Um, that, that's what, you know, when teams start to think about the price of what that next contract will be, it definitely can be behooving of that front office to figure out what the value is and if it potentially is bring back more than what you think that player will bring for you at that contract number. So I think that's all it is. I don't think the Knicks are like desperately trying to get off Emmanuel quickly. I think they clearly are trying to find a home for Evan Fournier and Cam Reddish and Derek Rose. Um, quickly, I think is more of an exploratory piece that I think they think has value that might even have the most value of all those players. So if he can help, um, to get a Fournier contract or a Derrick Rose contract or to get a, a player back that helps them win now more so um, and, and fits alongside Jalen Brunson and R.J. Barrett and what, what, well, what they're building in New York, I think that's kind of where things stand. I don't think they're, like, shopping Emmanuel quickly as much as they're really making him available. Like, shopping to me is when you have the intent of, of selling them, you know, and – like, like the clear intent, like the, the Hawks are shopping John Collins, to be clear. So I don't think the Knicks are necessarily doing that with quickly. He's just more of a name to keep an eye on, and they're certainly discussing. Okay, thanks, Jake. You got it. Um, we'll run through the comments here. You know, the Hawks were linked to turn the – we talked about that already. I don't know who would, in theory, come back from the Pacers being that. I, I don't know if the sides have talked. I mean, if you want to – if you want to, um, I don't know, seriously, the size of talks. If you want to just match for salary purposes, I mean, Buddy Heald would be an obvious um, an obvious match for Collins' $25 million. Um, to go any, any further down, down the line would be, I mean, Daniel Tice's salary, I would think, is certainly expendable to the Pacers and TJ McConnell's salary as well. But we'll see. I mean, I, I, I don't know how, how significant that will become. Um, Jared Vanderbilt, I don't know what the price for Utah exactly is, but I've heard 
it's 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 high, higher than the first round pick that I think it would take um, to get other players on that roster. Um, you know, someone asked about Fred and Vliet. It'll be, I mean, he's definitely a, a name that rival teams are looking at and curious what the rappers will do ahead of his extension conversations this summer, um, just like with the Bulls. But I think I, I didn't write about the Raptors in my story this week. I think it's a little too early um, to, to kind of paint the Raptors at a crossroads where they should be heading at. But I think it's too early to really talk about um, in full depth. I think they're still figuring out some things. Um, and then Dallas, someone asked, I mean, I, I, I don't know what Dallas can really have up their sleeves besides looking to move Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, for something of a better fit with that team. Uh, that's kind of my, my rundown really quickly. Kelly, before you get out of here, anything else you want to say? Anything you want to plug? Anything you want to share with the listeners? Yeah, so we got some, you know, some trade stuff coming on the athletic. We got, you know, obviously just going through hypotheticals, you know, the whole Jay Crowder Bucks thing. We got some stuff on the trade notebook. Um, just stay tuned on the athletic. Subscribe if you haven't already. We have a good deal going on right now. I think a dollar ninety nine for uh, for the first year, um, and obviously follow Jake, one of the dopest guys out there. He was really plugged in. He really carved his own lane and got his own got his own style. So I, I really mess with it. So appreciate you for having me on, bro. Appreciate you, man. Good luck covering the game tonight. We'll be reading you and uh, following your work as Eric Gordon's name continues to buzz around the league. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thank you to Kelly. We'll be back sometime next week. Uh, I'll be at the showcase in Vegas, um, and we'll figure out exactly when and with who to talk about. But for now, take care. Enjoy the games. Have a good weekend. See ya.